Sol, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, brother? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. And we should just um, make it known to the listeners, or I should say to the viewers, if you're watching this as a podcast, that uh, you're going undercover, so to speak, or anonymously. J.D. Salinger, that's how I like to say it. Tell me about that. Give us a little bit of a, a, an idea or the story behind this, why, um, why you are um, deciding and choosing not to show your face. Well, it's really funny. Uh, I was on Matt Belair's podcast maybe a week or 10 days ago, and he asked me that question before we actually started filming. And, and he said, you know, I wish I had done that now with all of the, uh, all of the privacy concerns and everything online. Uh, for me, it had to do with early on, uh, I was doing this healing work that people were sort of turning me into a guru. And I didn't like that feeling at all. I, di I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about the work. And then I really wanted my writing to be about my writing. And so I decided to simply not make it about me. And the easiest way to do that in this narcissistic culture was to not put my face out there. So I haven't done that in going on 20 years of being a semi-public, semi-famous figure in certain circles. And it's, uh, I'm really glad I did, uh, uh, that I pursued that, that path. The, the reason I said J.D. Salinger, he's an example of a famous author. He wrote Catcher in the Rye and he, he was anonymous for his entire career. I quite like that because um... My wife and I have just started doing wellness retreats and cooking retreats on our property and, and a lot of people, well, let me rephrase that. Uh, one thing I'm very cautious and, and aware of and conscious of is to not make it about the celebrity chef, Pete Evans. So I nearly distance, I don't want to use the wrong words here because it's not the right terminology to distance, but I, I allow enough space for the guests that are coming to not think that they're coming or they're going to get a 100% Pete Evans, <laughs> Pete Evans weekend. Right. Because I've noticed over the years of being in the celebrity world or being famous through the mechanisms that have led me to become a high profile figure is certain people have a preconception of who you are. And it's nearly, it, sometimes it's felt like ownership of my identity from other people and they expect me to behave a certain way or do a certain thing. So when we created the retreat, we've called it the Evolve Sanctuary. And my, I, part of what we've created, especially for my, my interaction with people, is to nearly to take a step back and just observe and hold space and bring in different therapists and, and people to weave their magic. And I sort of just float in and out and do the thing that I love to do, which is to cook for people and nourish them in that right, way. So, right. so it, it's nearly going back to where I started as a chef behind the scenes, just cooking and dead presenting Oh, food. that's brilliant. Yeah. I have it, some pretty well-known friends and they, they talked about the same phenomenon you just mentioned, they, uh, one of them referred to it as, as the outsourcing of their personality or their persona. They felt like they were, you know, they were suddenly connected to all of these other subsidiaries of themselves and that they were answerable to in some way. And I, and I thought, you know, I'm really glad that is not the case with me. Yeah. And maybe I should have done what you did, but I, I guess my, my soul journey has to be to experience this. And even recently I've been under 
what some people would call an attack or let's just say uh, heightened awareness from pharmaceuticals or the, the system. And I know you damn and, conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And, I, and I've, I've spoken to many people in the legal system and that live in that system. And I said, why, why do I seem to be a target? And they said, because you have a high profile. Normally, they wouldn't go after anybody for what you're doing, but because you have such a high profile, you become a target and and the the bad comes with the good or the good comes with the bad, if you, even if you want to view it that way. Right, so right. over the years, I've become, uh, again, a little bit more detached from that whole thing going, okay, well, it's just an outward representation of what people believe I am for them <laughs> you know, so right right uh, yeah, you know and in your case I, I can imagine that would be I don't know you know you were doing this this cooking thing and then you were being honest about your beliefs and observations and the research that you had done and then suddenly you're this huge target I imagine that would have been very very uh disconcerting uh to say the least I'm glad you've handled, your, handled yourself the way you have because it's been, it's been inspirational to see you keep going and evolving and changing what you're doing, you know, as, the, as, the, um, as this has happened. I, I saw an interview with you, uh, oh gosh, within the last year, I think it was with Charlie Ward perhaps. Mm -hmm. and, and you were just really talking very authentically about, you know, what that had been like uh, to experience that, those kinds of attacks. And, and I thought, well, here's somebody who really it has a lot of integrity and that I would love to meet. And now here we are. Yeah. Well, let's get stuck into this. And um, because you reached out to me a little less than 48 hours ago and, and through a, uh, through a previous guest or guests that have been on the podcast, uh, Dr. Bear Lando and also Matt Belair. And I actually, my wife and I just went to yoga and we were driving back and she said, who are you interviewing today? I said, Sol Luckman. <laughs> she laughed. She goes, because we watch uh, Sol Goodman <laughs> from Better oh, right, right. Better Call Sol. And she goes, <laughs> you're, you're shitting me. And um, I said, no. And I, and I read out what we're about to talk about today. And she goes, oh, she goes, I want to read that book. I need to read that book. This sounds like the type of conversation that I would really like to bear witness to so uh so you have a fan with um what you sent me in my wife and oh, also myself that's sweet and I, I i know we're going to talk about gnosticism or, or gnostic world or philosophy and it's interesting because it's been creeping and itself into my awareness over the last 12 months especially since this um the world has transformed itself over the last 12 months to to nearly be splitting in two so to speak and mm -hmm. um and the word gnostic and gnosis keeps appearing and uh, i think it's divine timing that you reached out so i'm going to hand it over to you sol to take us through the journey of of your interpretation of what is happening and what has been happening for a long period of time and i don't want to give anything away but uh take over my friend well, maybe I should tell listeners or uh, viewers what it was like to to have this novel handed off to me. It was a very odd experience. Um, and you're still there, right, Pete? I am still here. I've just turned off my video. Okay, great. So I 
I've had this experience once before. The last novel I wrote was called Snooze, A Story of Awakening. It's about a, a young boy named Max who learns to harness the power of his dreams. And he travels into the dream world in search of his father who has gone missing, who has gone looking for his mother who died in childbirth. It's very kind of convoluted. But I woke up one day, and I think this was in 2013, uh, one morning, and the whole plot was just in my mind. I didn't, I didn't think about it. I didn't, I didn't reason it out, nothing. It was just there in this kind of uh, very clean, laid out format for me. And I just began writing it. And it was a, a relatively easy experience. It took me about a year and I, I, I self-published it and it won a few awards and it's gotten a bunch of reviews and, and that kind of thing. So I thought, well, that's a one-off. That's never going to happen again. In late 2019, I went to bed one evening and was expecting to, I was actually very tired, I remember, and I, I was hoping to get a good night's sleep. And instead, I was up all night long as if I were being mildly electrocuted. And what the experience was, it was, it was like I was downloading this whole plot of another story, another novel that was being handed off to me. And I didn't sleep at all. I got this entire plot for this novel that became Callie the Destroyer. I remember the next day going bike riding with my partner, Lee, and telling her the whole plot. And it was very involved. And we took a very long ride. And I, and I shared this with her. And she was just like, you got all of this last night? This is incredible. I, I don't understand. This is just amazing. And I said, I know it's amazing. I, I, I think I'm going to start writing it. And I did. And this writing process was even more effortless than, than it, what I experienced with snooze. Some people, I, I was talking with a, a military veteran recently talking about being in the trenches. And I said, yeah, I've been in the trenches too. I just wrote a novel in the trenches. And what I was referring to was the way I wrote Cali. And this was just tongue in cheek. <laughs> the way I wrote it was I, I didn't lock myself in my study. I didn't, I didn't have to have lots of focus, me time to do this. I did it wherever, whenever, mostly sitting at the kitchen table in the middle of homeschooling with my son and business going on and everything in the world, answering questions, washing, a dish, washing dishes here and there. And it just came out just in this flood. And, and I would write, it would take me about an hour to an hour and a half to write a chapter. And it just was, it was so fast. It was amazing. It was like, it was all being just uh, recited to me. The other really, really strange thing about this download that happened at the end of 2019 was this was before the COVID stuff hit over here in the United States and before it was really in the press. The strange thing about that is that the novel is it's a, it's a futuristic dystopian novel, fortunately with a happy ending, that starts in our present with a pandemic. Hmm. followed by a mass hmm. vaccination program that I call Jackson Nations for censorship purposes. So I actually spell it J-A-X-X, Jackson Nations, and throughout the entire book hmm. so that it you know, hopefully won't be censored on places like Amazon and that kind of thing. So I was being given this entire plot of what was about to happen. I was writing about it, and it started happening as I was writing the story. Oh, fuck. 
<laughs> I, I, I want to talk to you about that a little later. And, on. and I have, and I have a witness. I mean, Lee will tell anybody this is what happened. It was just the most bizarre thing. And over and over again, she said, she would say things like you just wrote about that. And now it's in the news. It's happening. They're doing this. They're pushing that. This is weird. I said, I know it's weird. It's really, really weird. So I was going to pause and see if you have any questions because that's such a strange phenomenon. I wanted to start there so that people realize that I too find this very odd. If you're finding it odd, you're not the only one. Yeah, what I, what I find, uh, maybe not odd, but curious, and I'm very curious about how we can co-manifest or manifest this reality. And when I, I was reading what you sent me, uh, you have talked about being a psychonaut and... Uh, you might want to explain what being a psychonaut is to our listeners and viewers if this is the first time that they've joined us for a conversation. Um, Long-time listeners will understand what, what a psychonaut is because we've explained this in previous uh, conversations. And then what that means in relation to manifesting our own reality or understanding that this is... Actually, I'll leave it there. <laughs> I'll hand it over to you. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I feel it's doing background to Cali, which I think is really, really good because it helps set the stage. It's, it's inter interesting that the, the, the author's description on the back cover says that I'm, a, you know, an iconoclastic psychonaut devoted to exploring the truth about human history and potential. So that's that's a good description of what I'm about in many, in many ways. I interpret the word, well, iconoclastic is somebody who doesn't accept dogma, who also breaks rules, who cracks people's heads open with the truth, that kind of thing. And uh, a psychonaut is somebody who journeys in consciousness and explores consciousness in various ways. You can be a psychonaut on or off drugs. You can be a psychonaut meditating or not there's many different ways of being a psychonaut many artists are psychonauts some people you would think would be real psychonauts aren't and some people you would think there's no way this person's a psychonaut they're really a psychonaut <laughs> so you can't really judge a book by its cover huh? in all instances what happened to me very early on in my in my adulthood my mid-20s i i was uh, studying literature, I was working on a PhD and I was traveling to South America to do, I was about to travel to South America to do dissertation research. I was going down to Brazil and I took the required vaccinations like a good little sheeple. And within about, within the year of, of, of undergoing those vaccinations, vaccinations, I'll keep saying, I, uh, I got really, really sick with some very bizarre, uh, mysterious autoimmune illness. And I had, at one point I had 30 or more symptoms. I, and I developed, this will speak to you perhaps, tremendous, tremendous food allergies. At one point I could not even season my meat and vegetables. Mm. And I could, I could not touch grains. I couldn't get near alcohol. I couldn't do cheese. I couldn't do anything. I literally was living in a, in a, in a food prison. I lost weight. I thought I was dying. I, I, uh, I went through so many different, different down so many different 
avenues and alleys to try to get well. Some things helped me. Most things didn't. Most things were just a waste of time and money. I learned some things about energy along the way. I got involved doing some allergy elimination technique that helped a little bit. I did some Qigong that helped a little bit, but really nothing made me feel like I was on the path of wellness. I was also learning a lot during this phase. And when I, when I got to a certain point with the energy work that I was doing, I began asking questions having to do with DNA and consciousness. And what's the relationship between them? Uh, and is there a reciprocal relationship between them? Can if DNA is somehow projecting or affecting consciousness, can consciousness affect DNA? And are they perhaps some kind of closed circuit, like a, like a, a loop, an infinity loop, or a closed system, a, a universal closed system? This, these, this line of questioning led me into the role of language and how to use language to, to actually speak to our DNA to manifest health and other things in our lives. And I had, I, I, I traveled back to Brazil with, with my partner, Lee, having said my goodbyes to my family in the United States, I thought maybe I would never see them again. I was very ill. Lee and I had a series of extremely bizarre experiences. I was on a podcast in 2019, the higher side chats with, um, with Greg uh, Carlwood, really good interviewer. And he was asking me about my, my experiences down in Brazil. And he called me a contactee. <laughs> because of some of the really bizarre experiences that I had. And I had not quite thought of myself in that way because really what I believe that I contacted was my, my higher self that became a partner in my manifestation process. Long story short, I was given this series of vowels, these codes that uh, Lee and I were both given them, that we were instructed through intuitive means to sing and think simultaneously at certain frequencies or at a certain frequency in this first case. And when we did that, I began to get well. It was extraordinary. Within a few weeks, I was eating food again that I hadn't been able to eat for a very long time. And as time went on, I, I regained all of my foods, all of my stamina. I'm in my mid fifties now, and I can just, I can literally exercise all day long if I want to. I do a lot of Pilates, body surfing. I, I ride, uh, I ride my bike all over the place at, at, you know, at dangerous speeds, I might add, uh, I'm probably being really stupid, but I'm just, I'm just really going and I'm very, I was always very athletic before I got sick and now, and now I'm probably in better shape than I was in my twenties, which is pretty remarkable. So this, this vowel code came through, it ended up being called, we called it potentiation. We started sharing it with other people, getting their feedback. I ended up writing uh, two books about potentiation and the, the method that it initiates, which is called the Regenetics Method. And it's really about using language to non-locally manifest various things through the DNA portal. Because really on one side of, on one side of the divide, DNA is a molecule, but on the other side, it's a blueprint over in the realm of possibilities. And we can actually change that blueprint. But other things have blueprints besides DNA, including the shape of our lives, the, the world that we live in, our businesses, our relationships. And those, all of those blueprints are to some extent malleable and can be affected. What this is not is like the power of positive thinking. That's kind of an epigenetics approach. 
I'm going to think positive thoughts. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be meditative. None of that. This is about simply speaking the right words, the right language to some part of yourself or your situation, and then just watching the changes happen. There's an ancient term uh, for a uh, name for what I believe this method is, is a part of. It's called the language of the birds. It's been written about by various, various scholars uh, of, you know, who are looking at mysticism and esoterics and that kind of thing. So the language of the birds is actually a huge part of Callie the Destroyer. It's, it's an integral part of the novel. It's actually part of the, um, part of the, the resistance and integration to uh, resistance to an integration of the the enemy construct that Callie, the main character, faces. Hmm. Hey, uh, now I'm monologuing. Uh, 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 I'm just going to let you jump in. Yeah, 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 I'm I'm just sitting on the edge of my seat, wanting more. So <laughs> I'm I'm fascinated by the bird noises because uh, um, the bird language, as again anybody that's listened to my podcast over the years will know I have a fascination of, of, of the bird. Uh, yeah, the birds. Well, you're probably a member of what I call, well, Ken Carey actually used the term and it, I don't know if you're familiar with his wonderful books from the 80s. Uh, one of them was the return of the bird tribes. And that's how, that's how he characterized what's happening with the awakening that's, that's going on and the, the rise in consciousness that's happening and it's bursting at the seams. And it's also, yes, as you mentioned, I think it's also bifurcating people. But I love that term so much. And I, I love King Carey's writing so much that I included the bird tribes in Callie the Destroyer. So Callie is a member of the bird tribes and they speak the language of the birds. Tell me about the, the, the actual title, Callie. And I mean, it's very aggressive, the destroyer. So explain who Callie is. Carly, and explain why you've used the the term destroyer. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna open a can. If I promise it's not a beer. It's a Zevia Cola. All Effort. right, or maybe it is a beer. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, so Kali is taken from the the uh, the Hindu goddess or Mahavidya Kali, with a K K A L I who. Her epithet is the destroyer. She's Callie the destroyer. My character is Callie the destroyer, and it's spelled with a C. Callie, C-A-L-I. She is a 15-year-old pop star in an imaginary dystopian future that's like a cross between The Hunger Games and A Handmaid's Tale. So she's living in the society in a place called the fatherland, which is, which is deeply rooted in racism and segregation and, and misogyny, uh, misogyny and all of the, our worst attributes in many ways. It's, being, it's sort of the, the fruit of what's happening right now. Were the deep state able to enact many of its, its goals? And I'm talking about population reduction through vaccines. I'm talking about control and domination through surveillance and technology, all of it. It's all there in the book. So she, she is born into this futuristic world where the population has been reduced. It's now being pumped back up again a little bit because 
the, the powers that be in the fatherland are getting ready to take over the rest of the world. They already control basically Canada to South America. Hmm. So Callie is born into this and through a series of uh, supernatural, interesting events, she, she comes into contact with her destiny, which is to become the destroyer. And, and she uses the language of the birds to be the destroyer. But I'd like to point out that really the destroyer in this, in this sense is about destroying this artificial archontic system that is controlling the planet. Not so much killing people, but destroying the system or the, the apparatus that allows that control to take place. What I'd love for you to explain to people is the terminology of archons and to go back through history to understand how long this may have been taking place for with this sort of uh, battle, so to speak. Sure, sure. The, um, there were these texts that were discovered in Nag Hammadi, Egypt in 1945, which I think is a really interesting year because that's the end of World War II and the beginning of really the, the, the height of the modern era. It was also when Operation Paperclip happened and you had this huge transference of these Nazi assets to the United States where I believe they just set up shop again and then they, they had a, a longer plan. So they never really lost. They basically just relocated and, and did infiltration from within. And if, so you can look up Operation Paperclip if you're not familiar with that. I'm not making this up. It's very real. And there's also Project Mockingbird and the control of the media. And this is a worldwide phenomenon. It's not just about the United States. So it's a, re a rebranding, so to speak. A rebranding. Yeah, they, they definitely did a good job rebranding themselves. These texts that were discovered accidentally in a cave in these clay pots and they were preserved were these fragments of these Gnostic writings. It, a lot of scholars interpreted, interpreted, interpreted these writings as the, as the, uh, the spiritual texts of a, a Christian sect that they were calling the Gnostics. But really there, there, is, no, there is no real connection between Gnosticism and Christianity. In fact, the Gnostics were, were vehement critics of monotheism and Christianity. And they were, they were uh, steadfast opponents of the early church fathers. The name Gnostic, in fact, when it was coined, was coined by the church fathers, and it meant basically know-it-all. Stop being a Gnostic. You don't know what you're talking about. That's how they might've might have spoken to these people who were trying to tell them that they were wrong. And the reason the Gnostics thought they were wrong was that they, the Gnostics said that you're worshiping a false god. You literally are children of a lesser god when you go down this path. You're not worshiping the originator, the creator. You're worshiping the Lord Archon, the Demiurge, also known as Saklas, which means fool in Aramaic. And he is controlling you because he is the, he is a mind parasite who has taken over your minds and has bent 
your will to his. So you have the Lord Archon, the Demiurge, Moloch would be another name for this being, for people who are familiar with that terminology. It's a, it's a very shocking uh, statement, especially for Christians, and I can understand if that doesn't, doesn't sit too well. Uh, it doesn't mean that all Christians are out there worshiping this, this false god, even if it's true. I believe many people who would consider themselves Christians are actually worshiping what the Gnostics would have called the originator, which is the true creator, the, the, the god that created the entire galaxy and everything in it ultimately. So you had scholars talking about Gnosticism as some kind of version of Christianity when that's not really true. There was Elaine Pagel. She put out a book called the Gnostic Gospels, basically a bunch of, of, a bunch of uh, BS. Uh, you had other, other people uh, talking about Gnostic Christianity, and you still see that around, and all of that really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The real breakthrough in the understanding of what the Gnostics were saying came several years ago when uh, this wonderful scholar, uh, a very academically minded person named John Lash wrote a book called Not in His Image. I've got the subtitle right here. Not in His Image, Gnostic Vision, Sacred Ecology and the Future of Belief. And what he did in Not in His Image was to reinterpret all of these ancient Gnostic texts and to piece together the central story that is contained in those text fragments. And it's a story he called the fallen goddess scenario. And I'll give it to you very briefly. Do you have any questions or comments? Because I'm, I know I'm monologuing and that's not necessarily the best no, thing. No, I've got a mouth on me. I really do. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to sit back and just uh, absorb. So the fallen goddess scenario goes like this. You have the originator. Where does the originator live? The originator lives in the center of the galaxy, in the what we would think of as the black hole at the center of the galaxy. Now, to the Gnostics, it's not some kind of singularity. It's actually a plurality. It's a world inside the world where the originator is imminent in all things, as, as he or she or it is imminent in all things throughout the, uh, the galaxy. The Gnostics called the galactic center the pleroma, we live out in space in what is called the Kenoma. The originator is not alone in the Pleroma. The originator lives with a whole bunch of aeons, A-E-O-N-S, who are basically like Greek gods without the drama, or without so much of the drama, without the petty animosities or without being uh, inclined towards mischief and evil. They are, you might think of them as angels, they have different roles. Some of them might be involved in building planets. Some of them have other, uh, other uh, roles having to do with uh, creating maybe consciousness paradigms. There were two aeons named Sophia, and that would become the wisdom goddess, and her consort Thelite. And their role was that of geneticists. They were responsible for creating the DNA blueprints for biological species. And if you read back through these writings, I'm telling you, it's all there. It's just, you just have to interpret it in a certain way and it all clicks and makes perfect sense. So, 
Sophia and Thelete, and that's spelled T-H-E-L-E-T-E. -E -E. It looks like Thelite, but it's Thelete. They create the Anthropos. The Anthropos is, the, is our spiritual genetic blueprint. It's the maybe the energetic code that becomes a molecule when that blueprint enters into manifestation, to use our word. So the Anthropos is created. They've done this before, apparently. But this time, that with other species and other even human species that are on other planets out in the Kenoma. But this time, they decide that they're going to take the experiment to the, an entirely new level. And they are going to infuse the Anthropos blueprint with an inherent ability to self-transcend and to become something other than, than human or beyond human. They called this the luminous child. So in the Anthropos template, you have the luminous child. Sophia is very young for an Aeon. She is nicknamed precocious. She's brilliant. She's a little wayward, perhaps. She falls to dreaming at the edge of the Pleroma, looking out into the Kenoma, clutching the Anthropos to her breast. She wonders what it's going to be like. And suddenly, when the, when the Anthropos comes, and the luminous child is born. And suddenly she finds herself out in the Kenoma, where she's never been, spiraling out into space. It's, it would be like, a, it's like 2001, a space odyssey when, when one of the astronauts is severed from the ship and they go spinning out into space. So it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And she's young for an Aeon. She's never experienced anything like this. And she, she, freaks out for lack of a better word when she does the whatever darkness she has in her personality comes out in her freak out mode in her trauma and she inadvertently creates a race of being beings extraterrestrial beings called archons the archons come in two varieties one variety looks like gray aliens aborted fetuses and maybe all the reports that we've had over the years of gray aliens are just that archons and they are the drones the servants the proletariat of the archons beyond the these drones you have the the royalty the draco archons they look like they're reptilians they look like dragons basically or you know humanoid dragons and this includes the Lord, Lord Archon, who's the biggest of them all, the most powerful one. Again, he's called the Demiurge, and he believes that he created the entire world that we're, we're, we now inhabit. So they, they were created, and he, he is so overweening in his pride that he believes that he created everything. So this is the false god the Archons were warning everybody against. It, from this, the perspective of the story and of John Lash's retelling of it and reinterpret, reinterpretation of it, this is the God of the Old Testament. And it's why you have such slaughter and sacrifice and cities being destroyed and everything in the world, because that is not the originator. That is this Demiurge, who is, who is an absolute psychopath. All right. And I know... There could be people out there freaking out about this. I'm sorry, I'm just the messenger. And I also want to say that I'm just telling the story as John Lash has interpreted it. And as I, and as I 
built on in Cali the Destroyer for purposes of exposition, narrative, uh, teaching, whatever. Mm -hmm. Long story short, uh, Sophia then becomes the planet that we eventually are born onto. And so she goes to sleep, she curls into a ball, she becomes literally Mother Earth, and, and then the oceans happen, and the uh, vegetation happens, and the insects and the animals, and eventually we show up to inhabit her sleeping body. But before this occurs, there is an encounter between Sophia and the Lord Archon. And I use it as the epigraph to the novel. I wanted to read that. It's brief. And it says so many things. The more I've read this in some of the interviews I've been giving, I've learned a lot about it. I understand it more deeply now than I did just a week ago. And I can't believe I wrote a book and it was all of this was in here all along. And some of it I didn't even see. But because I had been given the plot to this whole novel, I didn't need to see all of it. So maybe I'm as blind as the Lord Archon, but she tells him when he basically is saying that he is the, the Lord God, the creator, et cetera, et cetera. He says, you are mistaken, blind one, because he's blind. He's completely blind. You are mistaken, blind one. There is an immortal child of light who came into this realm before you and who will appear among your duplicate forms in your simulated world and in the consummation of all your works, their entire deficiency of truth will be revealed and dissolved by this luminous child. That comes from one of the texts in the, the, uh, the, the Gnostic text known as On the Origin of the World. Hmm. So we could either take all of this as as mythology and there's something beneficial in doing that or we could try on the possibility that there could be truth to this narrative and when you do that if you do it if you do it honestly and you look at the world the simulated world that we're living in the kind of open prison-like Disneyland that we're in, the simulacrum, to use a Baudrillard word, the simulacrum of this, of this absolutely archontic world where they are, they are masters of deception, ma masters of the deep fake. The whole world is a deep fake because it is a product of the archontic mind. And they use their human proxies, who we might refer to as the Illuminati, the deep state, the cabal, to carry out their dirty work. And these proxies are literally mind slaves to the archons. They hate their mother. They are jealous of humanity to a point of hating us as well. They're trying to destroy the earth and control and destroy humanity. They have a multi-generational plan to do so that is carried out century after century, lifetime after lifetime. I'm sorry, that's not possible for humans to do. If you've ever played the telephone game, you will understand why. A perfectly sensible, intelligible sentence starts out and it was repeated from person to person and it goes around the circle. And by the, by the end of a dozen or so repetitions, it's garbage. It's just gobbledygook. 
So there's no possible way, in my humble opinion, that humans, even with their secret societies, et cetera, could possibly carry out a plan like this if there were not a guiding force with a much longer lifespan. And that would that is a nice description of the Archons. I'm going to pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> Have you worked out if it's a beer or a, or a soft drink? I, I don't know. It could be mezcal. I, I don't know. I'm an amateur mixologist, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a cocktail book. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> So where, so where we does should, that we could collaborate on it? You know, it would be fun. We could like collaborate on this cool book and, and, you, you know, you could help me with the, um, with the, the, the bar snacks and things because I'm doing it as, as like healthier drinks and ways of actually, if you're going to do that doing it in a healthier way and doing it very creatively and using some very old recipes and stuff. <laughs> sounds like an alchemist to me. I mean, so where does that leave us right now then? Right. Where does it leave us? It, we appear to be, I want to I go back to that quote and, and uh, use it again here to decode it. So when Sophia says that you're mistaken, she, he's basically mistaken in this idea that he controls everything. There is an immortal child of light. That would be the luminous child that they placed into the Anthropos who came into this realm before you. So into the realm of, of existence, perhaps. We place this, this, this uh, potential into the human blueprint way before you were even born. And this, this luminous, this child of light will appear among your duplicate forms in your simulated world. Now that, that took me a long time to figure out. The simulated world I got, you know, because it's this, it's this simulacrum that we're living in lies on top of lies, fake news, etc. And they've perfected it. It is at the consummation of that. But the duplicate forms, you know, it really bothered me because I know that archons can't, according to this, this theory, and this is back to John Lash's really interesting work with the fallen goddess scenario, oxygen repels them. They really can't spend much time on the surface down here, even if they ever show up here. That's the theory anyway. So I think the simulated, the, uh, the duplicate forms are the people who are, have become archontified humans. You were talking about the divide earlier. I think the split that's going on now is not so much between the awakened and the unawakened. A lot of people who are going away, who are capable of waking up have woken up in my opinion. The split is between people who are still human and people who are archons in human flesh, at least mentally speaking. So I'm gonna continue the decode here. And in the consummation of all your works, so when it looks like you're going to accomplish these goals for control, for domination and depopulation, the, their entire deficiency of truth, meaning the, of your works, all of, all of this world that you've created and all the, all the things you've been saying about science and about the nature of reality and in in human history, all of that, their entire deficiency of truth will be two things, revealed and dissolved by this luminous child. 
So you asked me where that leaves us. We're in the revelation moment right now. That's the nature of the awakening going on. And the sharing of information and the truth about what we're up against. What is the nature of evil? What, who is the real enemy? How do we deal with that? All of that. These are the questions that, that people are asking themselves left and right. That's the revelation of, of what's actually happening. But there's a second phase that's mentioned in that Gnostic text that I just read. That is the dissolution of all the works of the archons which is the destruction of the works, not necessarily of the archons. It does not say that. So this does not have to be reverse genocide or some kind of ET violence or anything like that. There is perhaps another path. And I, I actually believe there is, and it has to do with integrating the dark side represented by the archons because they are basically like our dark side. They're also the dark, the shadow side of, of, of our mother, the planet. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, I just remembered um, I was sitting with a um, someone that serves ayahuasca in a in ceremonial settings, and they were telling me that one of their experiences or one of their journeys with Mother Medicine or Grandmother Medicine was to experience the other side, so to speak to actually understand what it was like to ha have that perceived power, that darkness, that greed, that, that distaste for humanity, as you were mentioning earlier. And it's interesting what you said that, um, oh, it's, it's our little dog. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> She's barking at the horse. It's, it's the energy. Yeah. So, so take us on that journey about what we can do, do you believe? And that's, a, that's such a, a, a multi-layered question, and you could go in a lot of different directions. But I, the first thing I would say is that I think we're doing it. It's happening. And this is part of it. This conversation is part of it. The, the things you're doing in your retreats are, are, would be part, a part of it. Bringing people together. Uh, creative, uh, you know, problem solving and solutions and all the things that are happening right now of necessity are all part of it. And the standing up against injustice and tyranny, it's all, it's all part of it. I think we're, we're, we're seeing, I tend to look at this in terms of not dualities, but complementary nodes, complementary energies. And it goes back to who in the Gnostic story our parents would be, and that's Sophia and Thelite. That is the divine feminine and the divine masculine. These are present in us, in our genetics, because we were built that way. So we all have the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine within us. Basically, sex, gender, and all the other dichotomies are, are false oppositions. So what we're learning to do is to put those together in a coordinated way across a large swath of the human population. 
Right now, I believe we are in the information phase. That's the left brain, the masculine phase. It's the standing up phase. It's the sacred masculine being reawakened. But I believe the dissolution phase, the destroyer phase of this, when the, when the whole house of cards comes down, is a product of the sacred feminine. And because it's a product of the sacred feminine, feminine, it's not destruction involving a great deal of violence, as you, as the title might suggest. It's actually something else that brings it all down through the understanding that's been generated by the activity of the sacred masculine in standing up. So I see it happening right now. Uh, the, the novel itself involves both Sophia and Thelite. It's a, it's a trans-historical love story. I like to refer to Callie the Destroyer as the ultimate twin flames novel. You're literally talking about a love story between gods that goes for millennia or millions of years and is culminating in, in, this, in this time frame. So I, I'm very, very encouraged by what I'm seeing with the awakening and where I believe this will track to in, in the coming weeks, months, and, and even years as, as that begins to materialize in a different way, to manifest in some other ways of taking down the simulated reality that we've been living in. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot, a lot going on at the moment, that's for sure. I mean, do you, do you see any of any of this that i'm describing in terms of uh, what's going on with people and the planet humanity consciousness awakening yeah we've been talking about this over the last year that um, it seems that everything that's happening i don't want to use the word perfect but it seems that it it, it is a necessary part of the journey the i feel that 2020 was really huge for exposing people i mean 12, uh, six, 16, 18 months ago, speaking about vaccinations or jacksonations, as you said, you know, you were labeled a crazy person or a conspiracy theorist or, you know, danger to society. Now it seems to be on every mainstream news channel talking about adverse reactions. And, you know, in such a short period of time, that narrative has penetrated the, the globe i believe whereas now it's not taboo to, to question a vaccine and right I, you know for, i was a canary in the coal mine you know for, for the longest time and i would have people attack me saying there are no adverse reactions or side effects vaccines are perfectly safe you you got sick for some other reason it, it was all in your head whatever you know and now to see it being acknowledged on this level it's it's almost difficult to believe mm, and i think we're we're still in our infant phases of this or, or baby phases, so to speak, of, of what is being reported. And I feel like over the next 12 months, maybe even sooner, that those floodgates will open with the facts and the truth actually coming out for all of these parents that have vaccine-injured children that were dismissed or um, ridiculed or shamed. Or, you know, I, I feel that that story hasn't been told to the masses yet. However, the, the, the door is open now and it won't take much for that door to stay completely open for that information to flow out. And when that does to the masses, then, you know, I, I feel like the, 
the modern medicine system will have to adapt in in a in a beautiful way because it will have to admit that there was some faults along the along their journey um and the embracing of natural medicine and ancient wisdom along with modern technology and modern medicine is is the way forward i believe i don't think you can have one without the other where we are now in 2021 and i agree and I, and I see, I'm seeing that with the financial system. I'm seeing a huge battle, especially over the last few months with the financial system. I know it's been going on for millennia as well, but really right now, Bitcoin is being spoken about in cryptocurrency on a day-to-day level. And there's so much information coming through and there seems to be this, this you can watch the charts, so to speak, over the last six months, and it's it's this back and forth. This battle is is playing out in real battle. time. It, it is, and it's it's manifesting in such a way that people can now see that it's there's actually manipulation going on real time, and I think that will over the next six to twelve months again expose the population to what currency is and the future of currency. And perhaps there's, it's like the modern medicine and ancient wisdom. Perhaps there's a, um, a beautiful holistic way to move forward in this without destroying everything, but I'm not sure. And we're seeing that with politics. We're seeing it with uh, the environment. All of these things now are starting to come through. And what we were once fed through mainstream media is now being questioned because they've lost their authenticity, uh, their integrity and the way that they deliver the the connections between mainstream media and, as you would call, the cabal or the Illuminati or the the the, the wealthy or the elite, is visible more so now than it ever has been in history. So it's interesting. I, I was having a chat the other day, and to the point where there's nearly no more excuses. There are no more excuses because everything is available to us now if we're willing to. Uh, take a deeper look, uh, a, a conscious look, and feel into what is happening. And and it's so funny because right now, over the last couple of weeks, um, I'm redirecting our energy into the retreat as far as and stepping away from maybe not stepping away, but focusing our energy away from being a, a sort of see a front man on the on the battle lines. It's like mm. you know what it's time for me to change course and put some more effort into myself and my family and, and nourishing that part of um, the reality and who knows what that will mean, but uh, it feels like the right path at the moment. And yeah. That sounds kind of alchemical, you know, like in the crucible of these times, you're, impulse to reinvent yourself sort of a phoenix like imagery came to me uh something being born out of the ashes a little bit of uh maybe a one way of being yeah it's interesting i i noticed on social media like, don't leave us yet we still need you i'm like well if you need me that's not really where we need to be either you know nobody needs anybody else to right to, to live I think, their life. I think maybe you legitimize some people's thinking you know and now people need to 
to own that and legitimize their own thinking to, you know, to really take responsibility for their, their, their own observations, what they're seeing with their own eyes, hearing with their own ears, mm-hmm. their own ability to, to rationally consider the evidence and, and, and then take a stand. I think, you know, I think you've played a, a really important role in, in, being a, a helping hand, you know, a stepping stone, if you will, for a lot of people in that process. But I don't think that's necessarily anyone's ongoing responsibility. I think we, we all ha- deserve the chance to reinvent and reinvent and reinvent. Mm, thank you for your kind words. It's, it's really interesting because I've, I've been pondering, <laughs> contemplating over the last couple of weeks where what direction to take the podcast and and vodcast into and when you reached out I was like this is exactly where where I feel like the the direction uh can go into into these deeper conversations even as you said mystical realms um which can form the basis of reality and into our manifestation which is what I was speaking about earlier was as, as a psychonaut and, and your experience and the beautiful synchronicity of your novel coming out as the world is shifting into what you're writing about. I mean, that to me is fascinating. So fascinating that perhaps we are co-creating this and we have, you know, once we take ownership that we have allowed the mainstream media, the financial system, the government, the pharmaceutical and modern medicine industries sort of dominate, so to speak. And we're all to blame for giving away humanity's power to these, to these institutions or entities, as some might call them. And now it's that, that reclaiming of personal power, individual power, and then collective power moving forward. Oh, that's beautiful, beautiful. Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that part of this integration process that I've been sort of intimating in this discussion is it has to do with first taking responsibility for your role in creating the reality that you're living in. That's very real. It doesn't mean that people don't do bad things to other people or anything like that. It simply means that we're living in a world where on mass we have abdicated our personal sovereignty that's a problem and that that power void you know what is the what is this the uh the phrase uh, power abhors a vacuum right it's going to flow where the power used to be so we have basically just made ourselves available to be colonized mentally and physically by these parasites and their minions in, in, the, in the gnostic view and now we have to reverse the process, which involves taking stock of where we are and then implementing various strategies for reversing these trends. And I think that's what's happening on such a a large scale right now where people are mobilized in ways that honestly, I, I, I wasn't sure it was even possible for people to be so energized, but I think that the circumstances are so dire and the threat of these uh, passports and uh, mandatory this and that and uh, the masks all of it is, is is so horrific 
that people are finally stepping out of their comfort zones. And maybe it required this in some way. The crucible that we were in would also be the perfect alchemical environment for more of a, an electron shell leap, you know, where, where our, our entire energy, I'm, I'm using that somewhat figuratively, but where it goes to the, an entirely new level and we start thinking and operating on that level. And if we can do that, maybe I'm not speaking uh, figuratively about energy because I, I believe that we, we as humans can actually physically, biospiritually mutate into another, another version of ourselves. And that's the luminous child piece. It's been called the light body. It's been called the rainbow body, all of these things. But it's, it's there in traditions all over the world. And there's even evidence that it's been happening in some instances to various people. Mm, I had the experience doing breath work the other day, <laughs> very close to that experience, or maybe that experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is um, a, a beautiful time, that's for sure. And that was what resonated on our weekend retreat, actually, the other day. Had two, two of the guests that really resonated that there are no more excuses and for them to take full responsibility of their actions. And um, yeah, it, 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 that was probably the, the most profound part of the, the weekend was that acknowledgement by some of the guests that, yeah, it's time. <laughs> it's time, right. time to adult up. <laughs> adult up. I like that. I like that. You know. But, but it doesn't mean changing anybody else. It just means them changing themselves. And that's, that's all that is actually necessary for them. You know, going back to this epigraph from, from Callie, the destroyer, it, it's that, it's that moment of the shining of the, of the light, the revelation, the revealing, and that's really the people shining their own light into areas of darkness. And there are many areas of darkness and there are many kinds of lights that, that, that might be describing in terms of the way people, uh, convey their talents, their gifts, the way they share their vision of the world, that kind of thing. So really it, it's sort of the world is your oyster in terms of how you want to evolve right now, because there are so many opportunities. We are living in this, uh, you know, what was it John Keats? He called the world uh, a, a veil of soul making. And this, he likened it to a huge classroom where we are learning spiritual lessons and learning to, in, in essence, evolve consciously. And boy, we couldn't have asked for a better one if you want to look at it that way. Uh, I hear you, brother. Sol, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'd love to invite you back down the track um, when we feel like we have more to share, which I'm sure we do. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, love you, brother. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I'm how do people purchase your book or when is it available and also your back catalog? Oh, sure. Well, it's um, the book is, is uh, scheduled to be published on June 20th, which is the solstice. I figured if you're going to release a novel about the goddess, it better come out on either, either the equinox or the solstice. So we're just a, a couple of weeks away. It's in the pre-order phase right now, so you can get a discount on the, the ebook and the paperback versions. If you go to Crow Rising, like Crow like the bird, crowrising.com, and you can ac actually look at all of my, uh, there's a tab where all of my books are listed, and you can go and read about the different books.
and then my forthcoming project uh, uh, is a self-illustrated uh, art book and a memoir called Musings from a Small Island. I'm also a visual artist. I have this bad art habit, you know, so uh, I have uh, a lot going on. Too much, really. I'm, I'm, I feel sometimes like I'm scattered to the, to the winds. Uh, my friend, until we meet again, thank you. And we love you. Cheers, brother. Love you back, Pete. Thank you.